from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it's a pleasure to be with you on Monday, right? Today's Monday. I'm happy to be back. Our telephone number, by the way, if you want to join our national conversation on this late-night live town hall forum where you can let your voice be heard, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-the number four, my last name, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. Now, uh, a few things that we're going to get into today, right? The big story is a bank in the Silicon Valley uh, has gone belly up. Now, it's not the first time a bank has gone belly up, but this seems to be a really big deal. And, you know, I'm probably missing the point. I, I missed the point so many times. Uh, but every time anything happens in the banking world, the world of finance, whatever you name it, you know, um, it, it's always a big deal, right? I, I have a a group of of uh, unofficial kitchen cabinet advisors to me. And whenever anything goes down, this is it. This is the big one. It's the economic collapse that's going to ruin everything on the planet. This is a global collapse. Watch out. Here it comes. And and I, I just, and I believe that can happen, right? We've seen, uh, you know, 1929, um, the uh, stock market crash, all of that stuff. Uh, it can happen. But I, I believe that it's kind of like life. It, it, it ebbs and it flows and it comes and it goes. And there are things you can do to mitigate those things. But in and of themselves, I think they're always going to happen, right? We can't mitigate bad people. You can try to, but it's unlikely. So bad with bad people come bad decisions in many ways. And, and that's what happens. But Joe Biden was out there making his commentary on these things. And I just want to say, I don't know that this is the beginning of some sort of entire collapse. And if it is, then maybe somebody will grab this clip of audio, you know, a month from now, two years from now, whenever it is that it happens, and say, wow, that Valdez, he's so prescient. Or they will um, go back and say, yeah, that Valdez, he really doesn't know what he's talking about, right? <laughs> he said it wasn't going to be the biggest collapse ever. And look at it. Here we are. It's Mad Max scenario, all because of this Silicon Valley Bank. Um, I don't think we saw that with Sam Bankman-Fried, with the uh, FTX collapse. I mean, yeah, people lost money, people losing their shirts. Some will argue and make the case that, you know what, that's actually what's happening. We're watching a controlled demolition of a global economy, one by one, month after month, boom, 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 boom. And it's, you know, it's slow and steady to destroy everything, and the BRICS nations are going to come in. And I don't mean to be all over the place here, but I just, so many things get thrown me thrown at me over the weekend, where it's... You come on Monday and you're thinking, man, I am just ready to rock and roll and talk about this stuff. But so much of it is is kind of a challenge to talk about because the the situation that we have, right, we can try to blame everything on Biden. But the reality is he's done so much damage that there's a lot of things that likely stem from his poor policy decisions. But I think a singular bank failing is a singular bank failing, right? I mean, that's just my view on things. Uh, I don't uh, I don't think I can make it any um, clearer than that. But again, uh, we will explore this. Uh, President Biden's at the White House today. And, uh, <laughs> you know, he takes a lap of for victory. He's cautious not to break his arm while patting himself on the back. He says, thanks to me and my administration, you know, the thing. Our banking system is safe. Listen to this. 
Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and a team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. All right, so they've taken action. Now, of course, he uh, goes on to try to kind of pin this thing on Trump in many ways, saying, you know, it's Trump and his rollbacks, just like the train wrecks, right? There were these train wrecks with these chemicals on board, and they were saying if it wasn't for Trump and his administration's uh, rollback on so many regulations, this deregulation, we'd never have a train crash again, right? And this is the, 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 the bill of goods that they want to sell you. I'm not buying it. I don't think this is Trump's fault. If it's anybody's fault, like I said, I'll give uh, some partial fault here to Biden. But a singular bank, two banks, whatever it is, uh, I'm not going to say that this is uh, the um, the end of the world. But again, if I'm wrong, sue me. President Biden blamed um, former Trump for former President Trump for this, uh, the the collapse of this bank and uh, FDIC stepping in. And uh, one of the things that he said that's in the transcript I'm looking at says during the Obama Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like the Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law, to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, this is Biden again, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. So the bill exempting many from uh, the Dodd-Frank Wall Street reform law called economic growth, uh, excuse me, called the economic growth regulatory Relief and Consumer Protection Act passed in the Senate in a bipartisan way back in 2018. The lawmakers cited concerns about small banks and credit unions. And that that part there is reported by The Hill. So Trump uh, then signs a bill into law after it uh, passed in the House. Trump's team denied that the former president's actions contributed to the bank's collapse. And I I would agree with that. It wasn't really a, a Trump policy per se. But anyway. Out of the control of Democrats and of the Biden administration, the uh, this is what we see, right? And it, this continues to happen because of what's going on in Washington. And they just want to say that it's because of, of this and because of that and because of everything else. But the reality is this is, this is Washington at its best. Lamentably, this is what we see. Uh, But a a statement from Trump's spokesperson, Stephen Chung, uh, he said this to the Daily Caller. He said, you know, out of control Democrats and the Biden administration have continued to pathetically try to blame President Trump for their failures with desperate lies, such as the CCP spy balloons, the train derailment in East Palestine, and now the collapse of SVB. So uh, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot that they're trying to put on on the Trump administration. And again, I think this in many ways is politics as usual. You know, everybody always blames the guy, the last guy. That's kind of how things go in, in, uh, in the political world. Uh, but 
I think Americans are smarter than that, right? I think the people that listen to this program, the people that pay attention to the news, the people that are, are you know, astute in what's going on in life, they're thinking, hmm, hmm, not so fast. This doesn't smell right, right? I think we know that China's out to get us and, and uh, Biden is, is fearful, if nothing else, uh, to, to stand up to them and to try to correct things. And uh, this is just another example of Biden being fearful overall. So we'll continue to talk about that. We'll continue to talk about uh, a couple of other topics, right? What happens when people seek customer service revenge? We're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, We're also going to talk about what rights do workers have. We're going to get into that conversation as well. Plus, I want to dig in deep on what's going on with China and America's problem in recruiting for our own military. That seems to be a problem that's going on. And later on in Open Phone America, I definitely want to chat about uh, this doctor that's out there saying, we really don't need to use soap anymore. And I'm thinking, hmm, scratching my head. No soap? Come on, lady. Anyway, we're going to talk about that as well. Your calls and more. 866-505-4626 is the legacy line or 833-4-VALDEZ. If you want to chime in, up next, scheduled to appear is retired Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano from the Heritage Foundation. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, I want to introduce our guest. He's vice president for foreign and national security at the Heritage Foundation, retired Lieutenant Colonel Dr. Jim Carafano. You can find him on Twitter at JJ Carafano. Sir, welcome to the program. Hey, great to be with you. Yes, sir. So I'm, I, I wanted to speak with you because I know that you're an expert on all things national security, foreign affairs, and, and there's a few things that are out there in the world of headlines today that, that are, uh, to me, they're of concern, right? I'm looking at NBC News, and I don't know how reliable this headline is, but it's from the news section. The Army is rebranding in hopes of attracting young people. And uh, one Army official says that it set a very ambitious goal of 65,000 recruits this year. And this seems to have been uh, to have to be and have been an ongoing problem attracting new people to the U.S. military. You're a West Point man. What say you? Yeah, so I was I was in the army for 25 years, and what's different today than it was say 20 years ago or something is today over 70 percent of American youth aren't even qualified for military service. So you know a lot of people say, well, we should just have a draft. Well, you know, if you had a draft, it wouldn't make much of a difference because. 70% of the people can't be drafted, whether that's because <laughs> right. of high school education or they're, they're overweight or they have diabetes or a health issue or something else. But so, so we've been drawing really for the last, really for the entire post nine 11 period from about 30% of American youth. And honestly, even in wartime, that was not a problem because that percentage of the youth had a, a high propensity to serve. In other words, they believed in service to their country. Uh, many of them were rural kids with high school education. So it's not like you know, the military is full of people who can't get a job anywhere else. The Army, for decades, you know, when we were constantly at war in Iraq and Afghanistan, was pulling in kids who were in a good economy, who could find jobs in other places if they wanted to, but they wanted to serve their country. What's the big 
difference now. And I, I think it's two things. One is it's always a sense of mission that you, you join the military and you want to serve because you believe in selfless service and you believe you're going to do something good for your country. And they look mm-hmm. around and they say, we don't want to secure our border. We've run away in Afghanistan after 20 years. I, wh- where's the service part of this really coming in? And the other thing is, and quite honestly, we, we just had a, an independent commission on this. So this isn't like a Republican-Democrat thing. I mean, we had mm-hmm. independent experts that we brought in from many fields, and we did an assessment, and we came back and we said, yeah, this, whatever you want to call it, woke, or you know, pick your three-letter initials, DEI, ESG, you know, CRT, these things are having an impact on people's propensity to serve. People are serving because they, they want to serve their country. They don't want to be indoctrinated. They don't want to be told what their political beliefs are. Um, they, they just want to put the flag on their shoulder and protect others. And, and that, I think, is the most significant difference that we've seen in the last couple of years that's making it increasingly difficult for the military to track the, the the, the men and women that we traditionally do to, to round out the offer. And then remember, we're having a harder time making numbers, even as the size of the army actually continues to decline in the post 9-11 era. Yeah, th- again, this I said this was concerning, and I feel like I'm more concerned now after hearing your answer, uh, because we see more and more of the uh, DEI and whatever and whatnot. And again, I, I don't think people are insensitive to to others and the differences amongst us as people but i think people are in uh, intolerant if you will to being told what they have to believe when they have to believe it and why they should believe these things if they don't really agree with that and the other part of it is i think there's there's at least there's a perception from the rank and file of people who don't serve like me that there's a a, a systemic weakening of the military uh, with this indoctrination to accept things uh like um uh, this push that they had a year ago or whatever to, to put women on the front lines to accept um, transsexuals and pay for these transitions in the military. And I feel like th- this is really soured on a lot of people. Do you think that uh, that's accurate or is that just me? Well, it's interesting. Obviously, all of this is, is really anecdotal, but you, you know, we talked to a number of young men and women who are actually in the military, and many of them will, will, will basically come back and say, look, we don't have time for this nonsense. You know, we'll go to the stupid class and we hear the stupid people say stupid stuff. But then, you know, we got a job to do. We put on the rock sack and we go work out. But then here's the point is that 17-year-old that's in high school, they're, they're not in a cadre with other men and women who are serving in the military. So they're, they're listening to this, this rhetoric and they're thinking, why would I want to do that? You know, why would I want to go to the military and be told, you know, so stunningly – at the U.S. Air Force Academy, they actually were telling cadets not to call their parents mother and father because that might be oh insensitive God. to some. Really, this is like you're dictating to kids in college what they can call their parents. Honestly, hmm. you know, I you this know I lived bad. through a version of this. You know, I was I was commissioned in Jimmy Carter's military in in the in the seventies. You know, we just come out of Vietnam. You took anybody in the army you could get. We had, you know, we had drug addicts, we had criminals, people that couldn't graduate high school. Um, I mean, it, 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 there was no money, uh, and 
it was not a great time to be in the Army. I lived through those years. And then, of course, I lived mm-hmm. through the Reagan military and rebuilding. So I, I know what this is like when you essentially abuse the men and women who come into military service. Because overwhelmingly, people go into the service because they want to serve their country. Yeah, they love getting a good paying job. They love getting GI Bill and going to college. They love getting medical care and everything else. But you know what? In this economy, those kids, they can go anywhere and work anywhere. They don't have to go in the military to get a good paying job or get health care or to get college tuition. And they do it because they love the country. And we tarnish that when we do things like run away in Afghanistan and say that diversity in the ranks is actually more important than people having ammunition and body armor and guns and helmets. Now, Jim Carafano, uh, with about a minute to go in this segment, uh, I'm wondering, what's your thought on the Army using Be All You Can Be, uh, rebooting that old slogan and and trying to repurpose it to get people in this day and age? Uh, I don't think, you know, I don't think the advertising really has the impact that we we think it does. You know, we throw this money in it, we go into slogans. Um, I was in so many of those meetings when I was in the military about sloganing this and sloganing that. You know, the, the number one thing that impacts kids is parents. Mm. Right. Uh, the, and the number two thing is their peers. So it's not the slogan they see on TV. It's it's really what they feel from other people. Look, I'll tell you why I went to West Point. Because I, I applied to two colleges, University of Florida and, and the Academy, and and I really wanted to go to University of Florida. And I got this acceptance letter from West Point, and I looked at my father, who is the man I admire most in my entire life, and I took one look at his face when I got that letter, and I said, well, I guess I'm going to West Point, because I could not never disappoint right. this man. So, I, I, you know, the Army spends a lot of money on advertising. It, it, it's parents, it's culture, it's peers, it's getting recruiters in the high schools. You know, we have so many high schools in this country that don't want recruiters in their schools. You know, we had an MSNBC commentator say that he thought it was deplorable that Top Gun glorified military service. Unbelievable. So these are the, these are the things that kids are bucking up against when they're thinking about a career in the military. Yeah, if they're not doing China's dirty work, I don't know who is. Jim Carafano, stick with us. I want to get your take on the latest with China. I know they're after a new type of uh, a warfare, and you've got Australia looking for a new type of submarine, and all sorts of things are happening. So don't go anywhere, folks. If you want to join us, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back with Jim Carafano. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.
Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. <laughs> I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. I'm here with Jim Carafano, Vice President of Foreign and National Security at Heritage Foundation. You could get him on Twitter at JJ Carafano. And uh, Jim Carafano, I, I want to turn to China, all things China, but uh, I'm looking at a piece uh, that's drawing attention to why Australia wants uh, a new class of submarines, attack submarines, and likely it's because of the um, threat of China. But let's uh, help us understand why Australia would want to defend itself against China. Sure. So, uh, not surprisingly, Asia is a, a maritime theater. It's ringed by the by the Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean, and uh, and there's and there's two superhighways. If you think about it, one is you go across the come through the Suez Canal. Um, across the Indian Ocean, uh, through the Straits of Malacca, and then you make a left turn, and then you run all the way up to um, Japan and South Korea. And of course, the other is you come across the Pacific through the island chains, you know, way past Hawaii, uh, and and then you connect either with the with the route going up to Japan, South Korea, China, Hong Kong, etc., or you you make a, a left turn and you go you go down. Uh, and around through the Straits of Malacca into uh, the Indian Ocean. So Australia sits right at the, the juxtaposition of those two things. And oddly, the Australians find themselves in 2023 in exactly the same place they were in 1943, except in 1943 it was the Japanese, and they were moving down to what's called the first island chain. And if they, if they had been able to seize the first island chain – then essentially they could have cut Australia off either from the British Empire through the Suez Canal into India or to the United States. And so the, the Chinese are trying to do today in controlling everything from basically the Sea of Taiwan through the South China Seas to control physically control the waterways in the same way the Japanese did in World War II. And the Australians are doing exactly the same thing. They're getting very concerned about keeping the Chinese as far away as possible, and they're trying to get as close as possible to allies that they can help keep those waters free and open, and that being right now probably the United States and, and India. Wow. So, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting, the the parallel that you drew between um, the historical parallel that you drew. And, and to me, I look at this and I think, you know, China seems to be on the move on so many fronts. Uh, do they really have the economic and military wherewithal to to be on the move in Taiwan, Australia, uh, their love-hate deal with, with Russia? Uh, do they have this much prowess? Uh, 
Well, it, the answer to that is, is really it depends. It depends on how much pushback people are <laughs> right, willing that they to, get. <laughs> to get them. No, I mean, I mean, this is, a, you know, honestly, it is very same as in World War II. I mean, the Japanese, if you remember the first year that they, you know, after Pearl Harbor, they ran amok and they were literally at Australia's doorstep. And, and the reason for that was is people weren't fighting back, right? And so then the United States came into the war in a major way and, and turned the war in a different direction. So the Chinese are the world's second largest economy. They have one of the largest navies in the region. They have a global network of influence that they've been mustering for years. And, and they push very, very hard. But the Chinese are also not stupid. They tend to push where the door is open. So right now, for example, they're super aggressive in Africa and Latin America because nobody's really stopping them there. So when you say, can the Chinese real do all is if people let them? And really, Australia really is the case study. You know, I know a lot of people say, well, how, how dangerous really are the Chinese? Well, you know, the Australians were in a situation where they were afraid for years to say anything about China because China purchased an enormous amount of raw materials for them. They significantly contributed to the economy. The Australians were... Okay, we'll just not say anything about the Chinese, you know, because let's just get along here. And then what they found was the, the Chinese just getting get more and more aggressive and interfering in their politics and, and telling them what they could and couldn't do. And the, and the Australians just woke up one day and said, if we don't push back and defend ourselves, we're going to wind up being a colony of China. And you know what? We didn't fight in World War One and World War Two to be the colony of a, of a, of a foreign power. So um, we're not going to stand for this. And so the, the Australians have been very tough about pushing back against Chinese influence. And, and that's not the only place either. We see it in Europe. Um, Central Europe and Southern Europe, for example, really turned their back on the Chinese parts of Eurasia. And so, yeah, I think, you know, we went through, we, we got a big report coming out on China and really how to defeat China. And one of the things we did is we, we go through, you know, just like you're getting ready for the final four, you go, what are the strengths and weaknesses on both teams? You know, really good on offense, really good on defense. And then how do you craft a winning strategy? Well, the Chinese have plenty of strengths, but they also have some weaknesses. And it's like, if, if you decide who's going to win the Final Four and not play the game, of course the other guy's going to win, right? But if you play mm-hmm. the game and you fight hard on the other guy, the other guy loses. And the Chinese are they're just banking on everybody just letting them do what they want. And that's the biggest mistake we can make. I agree with that, and I think you, you've got to a push back on the bullies, and b um, I, I don't know if it's you know American arrogance or just you know me being a product of being raised in that Reagan era, but I, I feel like Americans have to always uh, exert some sort of dominance so that they don't lose their place, whether it's an arms race for for space for anything else, and, and I feel like. Um, the current administration, the current policies we have have really kind of abdicated that American leadership role. Um, what's your take on A, my thought, and, and B, do you think that's actually happening? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, we live in a world where everybody's not a nice guy. And if you don't look after your stuff, people are going to come after it. And I know the, the response to a lot of people said, well, look, how about I just leave everybody alone? Let them go after other people. But, but it doesn't work that way. If right. you have Russia exactly. or China or Iran, you know that the number one obstacle in the world to you getting exactly what you want in the words of the United States. And that after you take the United States down, everything else is, is so they're coming after us. You know, it's like the guy that says you you don't you don't get the bully the bully gets to pick who he picks on, right? So right. These, these guys are coming after us and, and they're not gonna stop coming after us if we ignore them. Matter of fact, if we ignore them, 
they will go after us even harder. And so I think your I think your assessment's exactly right. And it really gets to the problem of this administration. This administration is really kind of caught, like like the you know the the, the deer in the headlights, right? On the one it hand, looks that way. They want to pretend to be tough on China because that's what Americans want. But on the other hand, they don't really want to be tough on China. And the Chinese know this. And so they look for every opportunity they can to exploit this administration because they think that Biden, in the end, they think that Biden can be had. Do, do you think it's fecklessness? Do you think it's he's sold out financially? Or do you think it's just, you know, the, the diplomatic um, strong arming that they use saying, you know, we'll, we'll pull out our debt. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll, we'll go to war. You know, and he's just afraid. I, I, is it a combination thereof? What's your take on that? Why the inaction? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. You know, is he incompetent? You know, is he beholden to the Chinese? Is he just a coward? And the answer is, I, I don't know. But how, how can you tell the difference? Because <laughs> True. I mean, that's just that. All we can do is look at the outcomes, and the outcomes are the Chinese do not take this presence. I'll give you a perfect example of this, the one that really nobody's talking about, but it really is kind of like the, the unbelievable example. Um, even as this administration reluctantly admits that, oh, maybe COVID did come out of a lab, and okay, maybe we can declassify the documents and everything else, and, and maybe China. They, this administration, helped just negotiate a global pandemic treaty. It does nothing to address the problems that occurred in the WHO because of Chinese influence. Mm -hmm. It does nothing to address China's behavior. And as a matter of fact, it rewards China in the treaty. In the treaty, China gets to be treated like a developing nation, which means under this treaty, you have to basically, in the event of a global pandemic, you have to give them all your intellectual property on responding to the pandemic, and you have to give them money. So not at least it's not punished China for the pandemic. It actually rewards China. And that was a treaty that this government negotiated. Right. And at the same time, it does nothing for the United States. I want to pull on that thread a little bit more, but stick with us. We've got to take a quick pause here. Uh, 833, the number four, Valdez, 833-4-Valdez is our phone number. Our guest, Jim Carafano from the Heritage Foundation. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our guest, Jim Carafano, Vice President of Foreign and National Security at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, Jim Carafano, I just wanted to, um, you know, something you said before about how this administration just negotiated this pandemic treaty with the World Health Organization, where we kind of, you know, many people are saying it's it's a, a loss of our sovereignty because, you know, they kind of take over in the event of a pandemic. And you mentioned all the reasons why it was either, you know, going soft on China or not being aggressive enough. But all I could think of in my head was how they're just not doing for the United States and how it's like America last, not to sound cliche. And we see that a lot in our foreign policy. And I'm wondering if, if you have a, a very astute answer on why we I feel like we're always, you know, at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to foreign affairs in this administration. Yeah, well, I, I think there's a, a couple of different answers, and I, I'm not sure one of them is completely satisfactory, but I think they, they all pull together. The first is, look, there are a lot of people in this administration that don't believe in the United States of America. 
that 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 they would be very happy to be sitting in the front row at Davos and applauding people talking about world government and and getting beyond U.S. sovereignty. There, there are people who in, in this government who are ashamed of the United States of America and, and believe that American history is has demonstrated that this is not a, a good country. And and then there then there are people that just believe that they're smarter than the rest of us. And and you know it's this perverse thing that because you're rich and powerful that you think you must also be right. And that the more wealth and power you accumulate, the more that just means that you're right. And it doesn't, I mean, we see this in cities all across the country, right? Where they run into the ground and the people that run it just keep running it in the same way. It's because their heart's in a good place. They're the smartest person in the room and they keep getting rich and more powerful, which to them is an affirmation that it's their leadership. And so somehow it's it's Donald Trump's fault or it's somebody else's fault or it's it's not enough Marxism. It's not enough socialism. It's not enough government spending. I mean, and you add those put put all those people in the room together and you get this group think that says what's best for us in this room is what's best for America. And it doesn't matter if the outcomes are one of the highest murder rates in 30 years or unprecedented illegal immigration. It, they feel good about what they're doing, and that's all that's really important. Wow. So succinct, yet so sad at the same time, right? As you're, as you're saying that, I'm hearing, man, yeah, and that, that contributes to our problem at our border. It contributes to the problem we have with recruiting for our military. Uh, it contributes to the problem we're seeing with um, monetary policy at the Fed and 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 our problem with inflation and just so many things seem to be linked to the same thing, bad thought processes, bad ideology. Uh, it's a shame. All right, Jim Carafano, let everybody know uh, where they could find you and, um, you know, uh, and follow the work that you're doing at the Heritage Foundation. Yeah, so the Heritage Foundation is a great think tank in Washington, D.C. And one of the things I love is everything we do is completely transparent and we just put it up online. And and the easiest way to find something is just type in the word heritage and then you can type in an analyst like my name or just the issue and invariable will take you to you know a, a, a ton of our work. Like I said, we've got this massive report on on uh, plan actually to deal with China that'll be out in a in a few weeks. We just put out some stuff today on the on the banking crisis. So there's all kinds of stuff there that people people can use. So really recommend it. Also a great um, news website called The Daily Signal, which has, has just has great current news stuff for it. Absolutely. I can vouch for that. I always check out the Daily Signal. Excellent writers as well. All right, Jim Carafano, thank you, everybody. Give him a follow at JJ Carafano on uh, social media. And, sir, I want to thank you for your service to the country, for being with us tonight, live and late night. And I hope to have you back soon. Right. Thanks, Amy. Love the show. Big time listener. So thanks for having me on. It's a real, real honor for me. Oh, thank you. God bless and have a good night. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls are coming up right now. Don't go anywhere. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Is 
All right, so welcome back. And uh, interesting conversation with James Carafano. And I wanted to just circle back, kind of like Jen Circle Back Pasaki. Remember her? I do. I miss her. Peppermint Patty, by the way. I do miss her. Uh, Kareem Jump here is not nearly as um, as entertaining, to say the least. Uh, but I wanted to circle back with Joel Baboso Biden uh, because he um, he said a few things here. Right? Let me see. There's actually a few clips I want to queue up. Let's do three, four, and five. We'll start with cut three because he's working his way into blaming Trump at the same time making himself out to be the best capitalist in the world. Listen to this. Investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. Now, he's not done there. Now, listen, I I don't uh, disagree per se on that, right? I think when you make any investment, I've made investments, right? I, I started off as a barber, uh, as a teenager. Somebody made an investment in me. I paid them back. I kept investing. Things in the barbershop went good. I sold the barbershop. Then I got into the cell phone business. And uh, that went good for a little while until the NASDAQ started to drop, I guess, 1999, 2000, around that time. And, uh, yeah, I lost my shirt in that business. So I can tell you I've seen, you know, the ups and the downs. And uh, that is, that is um, again, I would say that's the free market. It's not capitalism. And I don't mean to split hairs here. But, you know, capitalism is a term that was not invented by you, me, Trump, or anybody else. Uh, it was a term created by Karl Marx. So uh, I don't tend to refer to myself as a capitalist, even though, you know, I guess in de facto I, I would say I am. But I would say I'm a free marketeer. I believe in a free market where there's liberty, where there's freedom, where people are free to do what they want with their wares, with their dollars, and what have you. But anyway, um, Biden continues, and he goes on uh, to, uh, to take his swipe at Trump. Listen to this. We must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Now, Corinne Jean-Pierre, KJP, she's um, she's faced with a question from a reporter aboard Air Force One today saying that Republicans are saying this is just another 2008 bailout. Uh, whereas she says, no, 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 different money, right? Different money. It's not the same thing at all. Listen to this one. Republicans are saying this is a bailout. Is that, how would no, you respond to that? this is not a that? bailout. Again, this is not 2008 at all. The funds, uh, the funds uh, are from fees on banks and not taxpayers. So this is very different than what we saw in 2008. Listen, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to have this knee-jerk reaction here and, um, and just start beating people up because... Again, I, I just really honestly don't have all the facts. But from what it, it appears to me, um, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, not not on their game, not on their game. And we're seeing the result of that. When you don't do things the right way, this is what happens. And there's a bunch of people that have their money with the bank and uh, they're, you know, they're, they're pawning it off on FDIC. Listen, I guess that's what FDIC is for. But do we want to continue to see this? Are we going to continue to see more of this? I certainly hope not. But again, I don't keep my 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 head in the clouds, right? The the old saying of you can keep your head in the clouds as long as you keep your feet on the ground is is one that I live by. 
So we'll continue to see how this plays out. Um, I'm not ready to start saying this is the end of the world just yet. But if it is, I'll I'll join the bandwagon in due time. Right now, I'm not doing that. But I also want to shift gears and just um, talk a little bit about what we've got coming up uh, at the top of the next hour. Because um, the president of National Right to Work, the National Right to Work Committee, was just um, testifying in front of the Senate committee and uh, had a lot of interesting things to say. We're going to get his take on what actually went down in that hearing, uh, plus a little bit about what they do for workers' rights. So don't go anywhere. It's me, Rich Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere, and don't move a muscle. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there. Good evening and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, if you want to join the conversation tonight, is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And a couple of quick headlines. BuzzFeed has seen a $106.4 million net loss in the fourth quarter. The company had a majority of its funds at, or of the funds, at Silicon Valley Bank. We'll talk about that as we move forward uh, in uh, the next hour. Um, You also have Minnesota signing on to become a sanctuary state for child sex changes. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, The administration, again, is uh, blaming the Trump administration on what is going on with these banks Uh, as of late. And we just talked about that. And we'll circle back with that and your opinions a little bit later as well. Uh, There's also this headline here. California holds half of all unsheltered homeless people in the United States. And that's from a new report uh, from the HUD, which I thought was fascinating. Who would have thought, uh, or as we would say in New York, who would have thunk it? Who would have thought that half of the homeless people, unsheltered homeless people, are in California? I wouldn't have. I never would have guessed that. I would have thought it's, you know, kind of evenly distributed between maybe New York, um, Chicago, Florida. Uh, because, you know, I, whenever I go to Miami, I always see a good amount of homeless people there. So I always tend to think wherever there's a beach, there's homeless people. And it makes me think, do these people uh, even aspire to work, right? Is there a willingness to work? Uh, I don't know. And uh, we'll get to that at the top of the hour. But I want to talk about work and in particular workers' rights uh, because, that's what our, our next guest uh, is dedicated to. 
as president of the National Right to Work Committee and uh, National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation, Mark Mix. Mark Mix, welcome to the program, sir. Hey, Rich. It's good to be on with you. Thanks for the opportunity, and uh, I'm excited to uh, to chat with you a little bit uh, across the whole nation, as I understand it, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. From New York straight to Alaska. So let's I, I saw a quote here. I know you appeared recently in front of a Senate committee and the one of the remarks that you made, I have a quote here. Uh, it says the idea of individual freedom and choice is a fundamental principle of who we are as a country. Yet labor law destroys that fundamental volunteerism. Explain that to us. Yeah, Rich, it's really an amazing anomaly when you think about this grand experiment in self-government that's predicated on the protection of individual freedom and individual rights, as articulated in the Bill of Rights. I mean, it's it's amazing that if we go back on a, on a quick journey back to the 1930s, we find a, a United States federal government that used a, a significant financial crisis to dramatically expand their power over the American workplace. And what they did is they basically made labor policy, the, the labor relations between private sector workers and private sector employers, a, a basically a, uh, a ward of the federal government. This previous to this, the states had their own laws, their tort laws and other laws about how employees would deal with their employers and vice versa. But the federal government, Roosevelt decided he wanted the federal government to, to basically dictate the terms and conditions of employment across the nation. And so they tried initially with what was called the National Industrial Recovery Act, the NRA, and that passed the House, passed the Senate, signed by President Roosevelt, and it, was, it went up on a constitutional question to the U.S. Supreme Court and was struck down. Well, Roosevelt was never one to give up, and he basically said, let's try it again, and they reintroduced a bill that was almost exactly the same thing. Uh, this time it was called the Wagner Act. And it passed the House, it passed the Senate, and uh, it went, when it went to President Roosevelt, he had one of his fireside chat radio shows, and he talked about the tired old men of the Supreme Court. And obviously, uh, he knew and Americans knew that the Article 3 of the Constitution does not dictate the size of the Supreme Court. It just says there shall be one. So what Roosevelt said in his, in his fireside chat was, you know, everyone who's over the age of 70, as Don Lemon would say, past their prime, clearly uh, <laughs> needed an associate, needed an associate justice. And at that point, uh, Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes and Associate Justice Orrin Roberts switched their votes from against this federal usurpation of, of individual freedom and states' rights and basically said this was A-OK. And so in 1937, in, in this case, they decided it was now constitutional. And immediately, Rich, you can see just how dramatically increased union membership was across the country, because what they said is you could be forced to join a union. And not only could you be forced to join a private organization, but you would be forced to pay dues or fees in order to keep your job. So from 1937 to 1946, union movement grew exponentially. And the predicate the base of our labor policy is one based on compulsion and force. It says that union officials have the ability to compel you to accept their representation, even though you didn't vote for it, didn't want it, didn't ask for it. You can be compelled to be to, to be forced to associate with an organization uh, against your will. And we know that under the elements of common law, you know, as you as you look at the elements of a contract, there has to be four elements. You know, you have to have an agreement, a meeting of the minds. There has to be consideration. There has to be no duress, and there has to be it has to be legal. 
Well, labor policy violates at least three of those provisions. Unfortunately, it's legal based on this 1930s labor policy that literally says you can be fired from your job if you don't pay dues or fees to a private organization, i.e. a labor union. So that's how we got here. And that's what I was talking about at the hearing that Bernie Sanders chaired was this idea of individual freedom and how uh, the power of labor unions in this country has grown so out of control that they have this compulsory force unionism power. Well, that's a, that was a lot. Thanks for uh, for Sorry. encapsulating <laughs> that. No, 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 really. No, the, I, I, I actually appreciate it. Uh, there, there's a, yeah. a bunch of steps there because I think it really, it underscores uh, the point of, of your organization in, in right to work. And that was really the crux of what you just explained, uh, how it wasn't anti-union uh, per se, right? It was really about the, the forced aspect of it, this compulsion that you speak of where, uh, you know, and I, I think outside of a political benefit. And by that, I mean, for example, I worked in the state of New Jersey and uh, mm. had I been a, a regular employee that was civil service, I likely would have had this this compulsion, uh, you know, where I had to be a part of the union. But because I was a political appointee of the governor's, I was exempt from that. And I actually couldn't be in the union. I think that's how they, they put it. <laughs> and and it was yeah. just interesting the, the way that works out. But, you know, people who aren't involved in politics or government or anything else that are just, you know, living their day-to-day -day lives, they go through this on a regular basis. And not the least of which I think are teachers. And I don't want to derail the conversation into a, a, a focus of education. But this is something that we see in public schools very often where I've met many teachers who say, look, you know, I love being a teacher. Um, I enjoy this profession. I just I don't like the union. I don't like what they stand for. But, you know, you've kind of got to be with them. And there's very few districts that that um, or states even uh, that that allow this right to work. And I, so I think the work that you're doing is very important. Yeah, Rich, that is obviously one of the places where the power of unions has manifested itself, obviously, just recently. When you, when you think about, you know, COVID and you think about the shutdown of our government school system and you think sure. about, you know, p parents looking over the shoulder of their children at a computer screen that where they're they're hearing and seeing what, what's being taught in the schools. And all of a sudden there is an immediate outrage that kind of spreads across the country. And it really started here in Virginia in Loudoun County. I mean, obviously, there were other elements of what happened out there as it relates to how the school board was hiding, you know, basically criminal activity in, in, in one case, for, for example. Um, and parents got wind of this and they got outraged. And, you know, when you had a candidate for governor by the name of Terry McAuliffe, who had been a governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia before and was running for a second term, um, you know, you can't run two in a row. So he was skipped one or two and ran again. And when he said that, you know, basically parents shouldn't be involved in decision making about their kids' education, uh, Governor Youngkin, now Governor Glenn Youngkin, jumped on that with both feet and woke up uh, a whole new constituency of parents whether they were left or right or conservative or right. liberal, they were concerned about what was going on. And one of the things we learned about that, Rich, and to your point about New Jersey, New Jersey is probably one of the worst states. I mean, everybody up there, <laughs> no except for political appointees, is, is forced into union representation. And so mm -hmm. Governor Youngkin jumped on that, and it became a real issue. And it continues to resonate today. And I think the educational system is going to change, but the teachers' union is kind of the, the biggest manifestation of that power in action. When you see Randy Weingarten standing up, pounding the table and screaming her head off and talking about all these things that, that have nothing to do with reading, writing, and arithmetic, 
people get concerned, and that's one of the elements of the power of unionization. The good news, though, Rich, is that we won a U.S. Supreme Court case back in 2018, a case called Janus v. ASME. ASME is the American Federation of State, County, Municipal Employees, that said no government employee anywhere in America at any level could be compelled to pay fees in order to work for their government. And to your point, Rich, one of the things they said was everything that government unions do is political, and therefore it's political speech, and therefore it's protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. So that's a big win, but that information has to get out to government employees and teachers across the nation. So thanks for bringing that up. It is important. Yeah, well, I think it is. Uh, Well, I want to remind everybody who we're on with Mark Mix, president of the National Right to Work Committee. And uh, I still even haven't gotten my first question out, but I will. I promise I will. (laughs) We're going to do that straight ahead because I want to get a couple of things from you. One, I want to talk to you a little bit about um, your interactions with uh, Bernard Sanders, uh, the great senator from uh, Vermont, as well as the... A story that's developing in Michigan about Governor Whitman, uh, Whitmer trying to repeal uh, the um, Right to Work Act in her state and uh, the, the uh, movement against that saying, no, no, leave it alone. So uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, we're looking at this developing story in Michigan where the right to work has been a cornerstone of a plan to make it a top 10 state for business. Uh, but the repeal of that law would be a step backwards. Uh, and this is uh, the current situation on the ground in Michigan. I want to go to Kim, who's on the phone calling from Michigan, with a quick comment. Kim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez and Mark Mix. Hi, Rick. Uh, hi, Rich and Mark. Um, yeah, I wanted to bring that up, that since we lost this last election really bad, they're they're trying to repeal that. And they're calling people freeloaders that uh, that it, it just makes it harder with the right right to work. It doesn't come out of their paycheck. Somebody has to write a check for their dues to their union. And if they don't want to, they don't have to. But because we're almost all Democrat here, uh, they want to take that right away from people, you know, and uh, it's it's going to hurt mm-hmm. us. Can, do I have time to ask another question? Well, we'll put it right there for now just to make sure we have enough time to get the response from Mark Mix. Go right ahead, sir. Yeah, unfortunately, that's going to happen tomorrow. Uh, the House of Representatives uh, last week basically passed the repeal of right to work. It went to from a committee right to the floor, and it was voted out on the House floor. The Senate's going to take up the bill tomorrow morning, and they're going to have it in committee and pass it out of committee probably around 11 o'clock. They will put it on the Senate floor probably around 2, and by probably 3 o'clock with a time limit on the debate, 
Um, they will have it heading to Governor Whitmer's desk, and she has indicated she's going to sign it. And immediately, um, well, when the legislature uh, adjourns and it goes into effect, uh, money will be taken out of the paychecks of every single automotive worker in in, uh, in Michigan who has heretofore decided they didn't want to support the United Auto Workers Union, for one. Um, and that will happen. And if they don't pay, if they don't agree that, they will lose their job. You know, Michigan's been one of, as you mentioned, Rich, one of the engines of, of manufacturing job growth and private mm-hmm. sector job growth in the country over the last 10 years. The previous 10 years prior to Rights Works passage and, and prior to Governor Snyder's agenda as making Michigan open for business again, they have been really successful in growing manufacturing jobs, growing private sector jobs, and this is basically going to set them back. And and the states, uh, the work the work will go to the other 26 right-to-work states in the country. Michigan's going to miss out on that, all because the Democrats took over, and the first thing they're going to do in a big policy is they're going to force workers to pay union dues to keep their jobs in Michigan. Makes a lot of sense, and and this is uh, important. Now, just based on you know you keeping your ear to the ground and, and being at the forefront of this movement, Mark Mix, uh, what's your take on how this actually plays out tomorrow? Well, it's going to pass. They've got the votes. The bill that um, the, the bill that's designed to repeal the right to work law. Every single Democrat senator has co-sponsored the bill, and they have a twenty to eighteen, or, yeah, twenty to eighteen majority in the Senate. So there's two votes, and and of course, the lieutenant governor would break a tie if that's the case. But yeah, it's pretty certain. They're pretty certain. In fact, I think the AFL-CIO has reserved the capital steps for tomorrow and for Thursday. So it may be that uh, Governor Whitmer doesn't sign it until Thursday, but the Senate probably is going to pass the repeal uh, tomorrow afternoon. Wow. Now, let's uh, circle back quickly to your um, your your experience uh, in the Senate hearing uh, where you, you um, testified in front of the committee, the help committee. Uh, tell us... Did you did you feel that your comments were well received? I know that you were there alongside uh, the heads of unions like the Teamsters and AFL CIO. Did they say, "Hey, man, it's great to have Mark Mix here"? <laughs> well, no, probably not, Rich. You know, I thought we had, <laughs> we made an impact, and and you know, we submitted testimony talking about uh, the the work that our foundation does on behalf of workers. We literally represent tens of thousands of workers who object to being compelled to you know, pay dues or fees to a private organization they disagree with. And so I had some of those stories in my testimony and we talked about individual freedom and basically it just bounced off of uh, uh, Chairman Sanders and the rest of the Democrats on the committee. They want to talk about repealing all the right to work laws with federal law, a bill called the so-called PRO Act that is alleged to, to basically protect your right to organize, which is already written into federal law. It was written into that federal law we talked about in the first segment about the Wagner Act and the National Labor Relations Act. So it's just about power and it's about money. You know, rich unions are a $25 billion a year business. They invest literally billions every two years in politics. And you might be able to guess which party benefits from those billions of political spending. Yeah, yeah. And and their allies in the media, which leads me to, I guess, my, my next question, perhaps my final question, given the clock. But is I'm going to guess, and maybe I'm wrong, and I hope I am, uh, but uh, I know that I saw that you had your testimony just recently in, in Washington. I said, you know, that's a topic we should probably discuss. It's not one we hear about often on the news, and we should probably, um, you know, get a better sense of this. Did any of my counterparts in, in radio or even print journalism um, from the New York Times or the Washington Post, did, did anybody contact you to do a, a, an in-depth interview on, on this topic? 
No, they didn't. And it's because we got overwhelmed by an argument between Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma and, and Sean O'Brien, the Teamster president. Those two had a pretty big uh, oral argument, and Bernie Sanders almost broke the gavel trying to get them to come to order. Uh, they were arguing back and forth about lots of things. Senator Mullen was you know, talking about why do you need to force people? Why do you do this? And, mm. and Sean O'Brien objected to that line of questioning. So that was really the storyline of the hearing. Um, that got most of the press. But no, Rich, to your point. You know, this is something that the big establishment media doesn't want to talk about because they know that eight out of 10 Americans believe it's wrong to force workers into a private organization or pay union dues in order to get or keep a job in America. I mean, it's just wrong. All right, Mark Mix, president of the National Right to Work Committee. Keep up the good work. Um, I appreciate it. Hope you'll be back soon. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. You bet. All right, America, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about what happens when customers leave bad reviews and customer service revenge. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. Welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and our guest is Sarah Buxbaum. She's the founder of CWS Hospitality and owns a wedding venue called Whistle Hollow Events. So she's big on customer service. And there's this article I was looking at in, um, I think it was Wall Street Journal. I, I don't have the uh, the full article in front of me, but I have this excerpt of it. And it says, as customers hit a record high, more people are seeking, or customer problems, excuse me, hit a record high, more people are seeking quote-unquote revenge. Americans in, are encountering more problems with companies, products, and services than ever before. A higher proportion of them are actively seeking revenge for their troubles, and that's according to a new study. 74% of 1,000 consumers that were surveyed said they'd experienced a product or service problem in the last year. That's up 66% since 2020. Now, actually, in 2020, the last time the study was conducted, and 56% in 2017, only 32% told researchers that they'd experienced a problem in, in 1976, and that's the time prior to that when a similar study was conducted. Now, that's interesting to me because uh, it makes me think that, you know what, people were probably more patient back then, and people didn't have such a hyper-focus on, you know, the customer is always right, right, and and getting their way. And I can tell you, this is something I experience personally all the time because you know I think I have an expectation. I've run businesses. I, I have a radio show, right? And let me tell you, this isn't um, the easiest thing in the world. I don't mean to woe is me. This is difficult, but I'm just saying that we have uh, sponsors that have to keep. We have to keep happy. We have affiliates that we have to make sure we provide an entertaining and informative show with guests that bring something to the table where every uh, there's hundreds of radio stations playing this program and if they think it's boring they they can get out at any time so i think you know uh i look at the reviews i get reviews every day <laughs> i just look at my twitter comments just look at uh, all the comments on me many of them are means i i don't pay attention to it but i i look at it i try to be constructive about it and i said you know what i want to 
get to the bottom of this because, listen, I am no stranger to writing a bad review if I get bad service. So I said, let's get an expert, and we've got Sarah Buxbaum. Sarah, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So I want to get to the bottom of this because I think a lot of people go through this. And I could tell you, look, I, I like to travel every now and again. I shouldn't say that. I like to go to different places. I hate the traveling aspect of it, but I, I like to be in different places. And and I always look at the reviews on the hotels I, because, again, I think if you're going to pl- pay to sleep somewhere that's not an Airbnb and, you know, not um, uh, a Roach Motel, uh, then you, you should have an expectation that is, you know, whatever, whatever it is, Right. And if the place doesn't meet your expectation, then it's on you because it's your money and you're exchanging your money for that expectation. And hopefully there's a fair exchange, but sometimes it isn't, right? And I just stayed at a really nice Marriott. And I can tell you, I, I usually like my Marriott stays, but I can tell you this one, I wasn't really thrilled. And it was a great place, but it just, it, it left uh, not a lot, but a, enough to be desired that, you know, I might leave a review. But I, I wanted to get your take on this because obviously, you know, you're, you're putting together some of the most intimate and, and, and special and memorable events in people's lives, like weddings and whatnot. And, and you have a, a storied history beyond that. And, and I'm just curious to know, I know that there's people that are saying, you know, be critical of, of this negative review. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I do think I agree with you 100%. When it comes to we're paying a lot of money for a service right now or an experience or a meal or whatever it is, and it should be good. And this is a two-sided problem with society right now with the consumer is not always right. And it used to be like that. And I, when I worked in hotels, I was always taught doesn't matter. They're always right. And I'm like, they're not. They're, this, is not this is not the rate this is supposed to be. So that's one side of it. And then the businesses need to have some accountability too. And I mean, we were out to dinner tonight at PF Chang's huge restaurant. It was the worst mm-hmm. service, worst food, the most expensive food. They didn't even smile. They didn't say thank you. They didn't say anything. And I'll never go back there again. Now I'm not going to go leave them a bad review because the people who matter aren't going to see it. So we just won't give them our business anymore. And that's where the internet is kind of making things interesting all the way around because there should be accountability from the person that you're spending money with but there also needs to be some accountability from people and hiding behind keyboards and computers and bullying people especially small businesses is what makes me the most mad but you know it's a different world we live in now and it's just um people need to realize all the way around what's going on I think that's a fair point. And and I think oftentimes when these things happen, uh, and because you made mention of small businesses, and I have to say, typically in a small business, you have less, I, I would think, you you have less of a need to to do the review, right? So, for example, I, my latest bone to pick is with uh, CVS, the pharmacy chain. I'm not thrilled <laughs> with them. I really am not. They're probably. I'm probably going to set aside 30 minutes sometime between now and next Monday to to write them a you know a thoughtful letter on why I'm taking exception to an experience I had in their store. But outside of that, I'm thinking now if I were going and there's another pharmacy in my town and it's a very small hole in the wall like the stuff I grew up going to in Brooklyn, New York, where they were typically called drugstores, not pharmacies, and and you knew the person by name typically, and it, it was a different type of interaction. So I think when you go into a, a smaller um, uh, business, 
you, you have some leverage. And by that, I mean, for Valentine's Day, I sent <clears throat> flowers to my daughters and, uh, and stuff like that. And I, 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 one of my daughters is in Virginia, so I had to do it over the phone. And they couldn't have been nicer. These people were terrific. It was great. But I remembered I had once used one of those large flower chains, uh, you know, with a toll-free number and whatnot, and it was not a great experience. So I said, you know what, I'm not going to do that again because it, it didn't work out mm-hmm. right. So I went, uh, you know, the extra mile, Googled something that was in her town, a florist in her town, and it worked out great. They were super. Uh, then for the other daughter, I said, okay, let me go to some, uh, rather than call, I said, you know, there's some places here on Main Street in my town. I'm going to go over there and and physically inquire. And then I asked and they had some terrific prices. However, they said, no, we don't do deliveries. And I said, that's funny. You don't do deliveries. But uh, in particular, he, he didn't want to deliver to where I wanted it to go, which was about it was per- relatively close. But they wanted super hyper local deliveries, like, you know, a few blocks away. So I understood that. And I thought, OK, and I, you know, I was already licking my wounds, walking out, thinking there goes my deal. I was going to get a good deal on this. <laughs> and then I said, you know yeah. what, let me go back in. Right. Because that guy, he was he had enough guts to tell me no very quickly. I said, he's probably the boss. So I went in there and I said, you know, let me use my head instead of my my emotions because I was angry. I was like, I, I needed to get this done. I totally thought I was going to get it done and, and, and not to belabor this point. But I, I asked him, I said, you know, would it make a difference if it was in the part of the town that I'm asking you to send it to that's really kind of adjacent to this town and just minutes away? And he said, yeah, it would. Let me let me call the driver and see if he could add it to, to the uh, – you know, to his list of deliveries or whatever. He called the guy. The guy said, sure. He said, the guy says, no problem. You're on. Whatever you need. And I, and, and it worked out great. And all I had to do was ask. And, and again, I, I said all of that to say that when you deal with these smaller businesses, if you're dealing with a mom and pop type of provider for anything, oftentimes you can negotiate with people because they they are the proprietor. They're the one that is, you know, um, s- providing the service or, or product. And they want you to come back because they're making a living that way. Whereas when you're going to, even if it's a Marriott or, or a large pharmacy chain like CVS, they're like, you know what, whether you stop coming here or not, I'm going to keep my job because there is there's zero accountability in, in that structure, uh, or at least it feels like there's zero accountability. And and I think that's part of the issue that, that I perceive. What's your take on that? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I'm always talking about supporting small businesses because, well, for multiple reasons, but one, you're going to get a much better experience because most likely that's the owner behind the register. That's not somebody that, you know, works a corporate job. They genuinely care about their customers. They care about the quality. They care about giving you something that's worth you sharing. So, you know, that, that's what grows our businesses is word of mouth. Most of most small businesses yeah, of course. That's how we grow. And so we care more. And I've been self-employed for a long time. And, you know, my hospitality company just acquired with the Hall of Events, which is a wedding venue. So I'm I'm in this all the time. And then we also acquired Endless Catering, which we cater all over across two states. And luckily, the, the previous owner, she was so good at building these, you know, building the taking good care of her customers. So when when my company acquired them and I just took it to the next level and I just took what she did and just put my little special touch into it too. And with our amazing team, but that's what people love to hear. I mean, that's what they want. They want 
people who genuinely care. And it's just, it's so important. And these big companies, like you said, CVS, Marriott, I worked for the Sheraton. I hope that I did a better job than whoever served you at the, at the Marriott. Yeah. Yeah. It was more uh, operational stuff, but yeah, I get your point. Yeah, I mean, small businesses, we just have more skin in the game. And yep. we, Sarah, we have I don't, I don't want to interrupt you. I want you to finish that thought. Uh, but I got to take a pause here. So we're going to come right back to you. Sarah Buxbaum, founder of CWS Hospitality. And celebrate with Sarah.com. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Sarah Buxbaum, founder of CWS Hospitality, and uh, her website is celebratewithsarah.com. Let's uh, continue what we were talking about, right? You mentioned that um, you were finishing a thought on small enterprises and supporting small businesses, and I wanted to to, uh, finish that thought and get into your thoughts on the do's and don'ts of leaving negative reviews. Go right ahead, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a time and a place for a negative review um, for a business of any kind, whether it's a restaurant or, you know, wherever, whatever type of business it is. But I do think people need to be a little bit more, give a little bit more grace and be a little bit more kind when they're online. Because what these people don't realize is you can go write, you know, five paragraphs about how the server forgot your side of bacon or whatever, but you have the potential to destroy somebody's business over something that probably isn't that big of a deal. Mm. So, you know, I travel a lot. Uh, my husband owns a dog food company. It's fresh organic dog food company, Barks and Berries. And we travel all the time doing shows for his business. So we're always on Yelp. We're always looking for places to, to eat and, you know, try new things. And I always go on Yelp and I see, you know, if a bunch of people got food poisoning, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> But if they just had slow server or they were short staffed, then yes, we would choose to go there because we want to support that business that's clearly has good food, but they're just struggling. I mean, it's very hard to find people to work now, which is, you know, the Mm -hmm. first problem. So that person showed up to work. Maybe they had a bad day. Maybe they were working three other jobs before they got there. You know, it's, I always like to put things into perspective, right? Like we run a bunch of businesses. We are very involved in our community. At the end of the day, if you're going to do something negative, it should have a reason and hopefully a, a positive spin on it. Maybe you're teaching somebody something, you're trying to help them through something. So for me to leave a negative review, it has to be something that I really, really feel strongly that's going to impact someone else. Like if I got sick or if they didn't care about, you know, cross-contamination and I have celiac disease that's something like I would leave a review and I have done that um, for things like that. But for something little, when someone says, you know, they don't have enough servers and they're leaving a one-star review on Yelp, that's not the business's fault. I mean, and then other people see that who maybe have never, like I was a waitress. I loved being a waitress. Um, You know, it's a very fun job. You get to meet a lot of cool people, but it's hard because people think 
that everywhere they go, they're at the Four Seasons, and and you're not. I mean, if you're at a Taco Bell drive-through, you're not going to get the same experience. And and you know, like the Chick Fil A, I always use Chick Fil A as a, as an example because you know when you go there, they're I've never going had to a smile. bad experience at Chick Fil A. Exactly, exactly. How come every other fast food restaurant doesn't take notes of this? Do they just not right. care? I mean, you never leave mad at Chick Fil A. I mean, we right. go there all the time, and it's because of that. It creates and happiness. It does, and that's what you want your hard-earned money to go towards, is you want to feel happy spending your money that you just worked really hard to earn. And that's why Chick-fil-A, I always say, yes, you can talk about the Four Seasons and the Ritz-Carlton and all of that amazing you know, hospitality and those really expensive things, but it doesn't have to be expensive. It's really just about people. Mm-hmm. And that's all businesses. And I mean, that's kind of what I always am <laughs> preaching about on social media is just, just be kind. I mean, that's really the bottom line. And I don't go to businesses specifically because of the, you know, if people, if I see business owners, especially in the wedding industry, there's a lot of people in the wedding industry that feel very entitled and very, you know, I'm the best one because of this. Where, as I feel, and I think this is what has helped, you know, my business over the years, is I, I, it's community over competition always. I love being part of a lot of other people's network and community and support, and that's what every business owner should do, and and that's that's really the bottom line for all businesses. And so when I like, we don't go to Sonic or. KFC or any of these other places that are a lot closer to us will drive further to go to a Chick-fil-A or something like that because we know it's going to be good food. If there's something wrong with it, they'll easily fix it for you. You don't need to yell. And that's the other thing. Like people need to understand when you yell as someone who's been in customer service for like almost 18 years, when you yell, that customer service agent is going to check out. <laughs> right. If you're well, nice, it depends yeah. on what part of the country you're in, right? In some parts of the country, well, the, like New York, they'll yell back at you. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, and this is a true and story. Okay. I called the electric company today, and they hung up on me when I complained and made some sense in my complaint. That, and that happens. Oh. Sarah Buxbaum, I don't want to cut you off, but uh, I do have to hit a pause. If you could stick with us a couple more minutes so we could wrap up and uh, let everybody know where they could find you. I'd appreciate it. Folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. We're on with Sarah Buxbaum, and we'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And when all else fails, focus on the golden rule, right? Sarah Buxbaum tells us we have to be kind and we have to have grace. When uh, thinking of leaving a negative review, I will take it into consideration. But again, I will shoot from the hip if you get fresh. Don't get fresh with me, Sarah Buxbaum. I want you to let everybody know how they can follow you and keep up with all of the wonderful things you're doing with these businesses. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Instagram is the best way other than our websites, but Whistle Hollow is our wedding venue. 
and that's on Instagram, Facebook, and our website. And we also have a catering company, which is called Endless Catering, and you can find that on Instagram, Facebook, um, and our website as well, which is EndlessCatering.com. And then um, the other company that we do, my husband's company that I do a lot with him too, and that's Barks and Berries, and that's a fresh organic dog food company. So we're really involved in everything. (laughs) And then um, my main brand is Celebrate with Sarah. And so that's my website, celebratewithsarah.com. I also have an Instagram that's Celebrate with Sarah. Um, and people can message me. I'm, I do all of the Celebrate with Sarah stuff myself. So I love reaching out to people and hearing what people have to say and, and sharing any tips that I can. Outstanding. Well, I thank you for giving us a dose of common sense. If you leave it to me, we'll be shooting uh, everybody down saying, ah, I didn't like this. And I didn't like that. Like, and I, I try to be uh, judicious in doing that. I realize, you know, I've made mistakes in the past too, but some things are for me, if it's an operational issue or, or a systemic issue, I'm definitely going to point it out. Sarah Bucksbaum, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more. If you have a customer service nightmare, I'd love to hear it. I'd also like to know, what useless information do you know? Give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Open Phone America starts now. the city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, and it is uh, the final hour on the Monday night program of America at Night with Rich Valdez. Check me out on social media, by the way, at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media, and... uh, As always, if you missed any of the wonderful interviews that we've had in the first two hours of the program, make sure you check out the podcast. Now you say, where can I get that or where can I listen live? You can listen to this show anytime from anywhere and pretty much any episode. Just go to richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. You could stream the show. You could subscribe to the podcast from whatever podcast platform, excuse me, that you uh, like to use. And there's archived episodes there. You can just hit play, listen to it right through the browser. So no excuse. If you want to listen to the program, it's immediately available. Now, I want to go over some headlines with you because there's a lot to discuss tonight. There was some sort of sugar daddy convention. And this woman is proposing that there be a national sugar daddy day. We're going to get to that momentarily. I also want to talk about this doctor who's written a book called I Don't Believe in Soap, Shoes, or Shaving. Do you? Do you think that soap is overused? I don't. I happen to be a repeat offender. I use it daily. But, you know, let's see. She also talks about the benefits of something called a coffee enema. Sorry, folks. Hold on to your hats. And then there's some other headlines. Listen to this one. The United States was overbilled by uh, China, of all places, 
for their Wuhan lab research. Boy, are we going to get to that at the uh, bottom of the hour. And uh, the president of Mexico says that the U.S. is now safer, um, uh, excuse me, that Mexico is safer than the U.S. Of course, this comes on the heels of four Americans being kidnapped and two of them uh, being murdered while they were in Mexico. So that's just a little bit of what we have on the horizon. And speaking of that, before it even gets to Mexico to make its way into the noses of so many Americans, a ton of cocaine, $87.7 million worth of cocaine, was found aboard a submarine that they're calling a ghost submarine, something that uh, you know was going nowhere, was hanging out there. Two dead bodies were on board this submarine. And that was found off the coast of Colombia. So we're going to get to that as well as your calls uh, from all across America. 833-482-5337 is our phone number. 833, the number four, Valdez. If you want to join the late night national town hall forum here on America at Night, this is your chance to be heard. It's a tradition started by the late Larry King, continued by the great Jim Bohannon. And uh, it lives on on our program now. So you're welcome to call. The phone lines are open. And I'm keeping you company straight till 1 a.m. Eastern or 10 p.m. Pacific, depending on where you're listening from. If you're in between, you can figure that out <clears throat> in central time. Now, I wanted to uh, jump into this to this story uh, about the let's see. We'll do the, the soap and shoes momentarily. Uh, we're going to do your calls momentarily, but I want to see where I start. I think we're going to start here with the, let's see, what audio did I just flag, Mr. Hinton? Yes, perfect place. Listen to this. You know, you've been vilified on the far right. I know you know that. Um, and we've seen Elon Musk tweet that his pronouns uh, he's the owner of Twitter, that his pronouns are prosecute uh, Fauci. Others in the GOP have talked about arresting you and prosecuting you um, for your handling of COVID. What's your response to that, uh, your response to Musk? And, and what has that been like for your family? Well, I mean, there's no response to that craziness, Jim. I mean, prosecute me for what? What, what are they talking about? <laughs> I mean, I wish I could figure out what the heck they were talking about. I think they're just going off the deep end. That's the answer to your first question. It doesn't make any sense to say something like that, and it actually is irresponsible. Of course, it's going to have a difficult effect and a deleterious effect on my family. I mean, they don't like to have me getting death threats all the time. Every time somebody gets up and spouts some nonsense that's misinformation, disinformation, and outright lies, somebody somewhere decides they want to do harm to me and or my family. So that's the part about it that is really unfortunate. The rest of it is just insanity, the things they're saying, but it does have a negative effect when people take it seriously and take it out on you and your family, which is the reason why I still have to have protection, which is really unfortunate. Okay. Well, let's take that apart. I didn't want to interrupt that. Of course, you're listening to the, the stylings and musings of uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's top doctor, who I like to call the Fauchster. Now, the Fauchster, you know, was beloved by so many. I think he won Sexiest Doctor Alive uh, in 2021. And, of course, now he's not liked by many people. He did not win an Oscar last night. And the reason he didn't win an Oscar last night is because I think there was a lot of critics of his that that had a point 
right? There, there were things that they said about him, and they ended up being accurate in many ways. But he talks about the death threats on his family. Look, I don't think anybody should be threatened. I really don't. Um, I don't. You know, did they threaten JFK? Did they threaten Lincoln? I don't think so, right? Um, people had a beef with them, and they went and did it. Am I saying you should go and do it? No. I'm just saying the unfortunate things do happen, and we don't need uh, the threats. And, of course, I'm sure there were threats against Lincoln and Kennedy. There's threats against all the presidents. They're always getting a bunch of flack. My point is we don't need it. It's not helpful. None of that is. It doesn't resolve any issue. And and the the, the bottom line here with the Fouchster is that, you know, he's complaining that he needs security. Listen, people need security sometimes. That's just how it works. And, and I don't think he should... Um, he, he should uh, receive threats, especially for his family. Now, for him himself, look, if people don't like you, they don't like you. Uh, you have to see. The other day, somebody put on uh, on one of these social medias and they said, I disagree with everything you say. And it's funny because this particular comment, and I don't think I've shared this on the air ever, but, you know, I typically will share an article with a headline or whatever, give some of my thoughts on that. But this particular article, uh, this particular social media post was a personal one, you know, where I, 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 you know, something positive about one of my children. And it was under that post that some person decided to say, um, I disagree with everything you say. I view you as my enemy. What was that for? On a picture with me and my kid. Like, really, what's that about? And how am I supposed to take that, right? So, uh, listen, I get, uh, I think it's it's uncalled for, it's unnecessary, it's stupid, but it happens, and it's real life. And, you know, you do what you got to do. That's just how life is. Everybody does what they got to do. The idiot who's commenting on my the picture of my kid, uh, he's got to do what he's got to do, and I'm definitely going to do what I got to do. So that's my point here. The Fouchster did what he had to do, and now, and now, He's reaping the reward, right, if you will, or the, the fruits of his labor. Now, he's saying that uh, uh, everybody wants to blame him. And uh, listen, who else are they going to blame? You got Dr. Robert Redfield who's blaming Fauci for this. So this is definitely one of those things that I think is uh, no bueno, my friends, no bueno. Anyway, uh, the U.S. was double billed by tens of millions of dollars in grants to the Wuhan lab. This is a report in, uh, that came out according to CBS News. And we have that CBS News report. Uh, we'll play it for you maybe at the, at the bottom of the hour uh, after the bottom. But the government says it may have paid for grants twice that it gave to the research labs in Wuhan, according to a newly launched federal probe found that tens of millions of dollars in potentially fraudulent payments may have been made to the Wuhan lab, saying that this is, quote-unquote, a risky project that was bankrolled by the National Institutes of Health and the U.S. Agency for International Development, also known as USAID. Now, USAID has a history of making big million-dollar payments to people or places, organizations, governments, think tanks, and whatever, uh, in the name of whatever, that don't seem to pan out. There was a lot of money sent to Ukraine back in the days during the Obama years. And uh, nobody ever knew where that money went, right? And uh, it's just interesting to see how USAID is always involved in these tricky, fishy, uh, I'm going to call them scam-like stories. So um, that's that, right? And this was, again, people saying, oh, we never, we never funded any of this and we never did any of that. Well, clearly we did. Now we might have funded it twice. How about that? Not once, but twice. So this um, would never have come to light if it wasn't for the fact that the United States now has Republicans in Congress that are leading the way 
on this stuff, and they've decided to look into it. And guess what? Their oversight is finding that these grants may have been paid out twice. These are the same grants that Dr. Fauci said he wasn't even involved in and that they didn't do. Meanwhile, they did. They went to the EcoHealth Alliance, which in turn sent them right to the Wuhan lab. So there was a middleman. Anyway, I thought that was of interest and uh, looking forward to speaking with you guys. We got calls coming in from across the country. We're going to get to those momentarily. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Welcome back. Just want to give a quick shout out to some of the loyal callers that have called over the years. Chris in Santa Clara. Big shout out to him. Nice guy. Um, Billy in Dallas. He's great. Love that guy. Who else? We got Gil in Manila, Philippines. Another one. Faithful, loyal. Uh, Pat in Sedona, Arizona. Just big shout out. So many great callers. I would thank you. We're going to get to your calls momentarily. Uh, Paul in Zanesville. Uh, Sue. I mean, you name it. There's just so many. Let us go. Uh, to the phones and check in with our buddy Ed from Pittsburgh on KDKA. Welcome, Ed. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, how are you this evening, sir? Wonderful, sir. Thank you. Yeah, I, I had called earlier, and I'd hoped to speak to your guest who was, you know, against the unions. You know, what yeah, Well, he was against is- the, um, the union forcing people to pay union dues if they didn't want to be a part of a union just to have a job. Yeah, but the funny thing is those people that don't want to pay union dues, when they get in trouble, all of a sudden they want the protection. They want the equal benefits that, you know, they didn't pay for. Can you, know, you cite like a court case or a recent – I mean, because I can just – I only know from my own experience, I never wanted any union protection. I mean, I mean, my family's been union for 80 years. You know, my father was worked for the railroad. My mother worked for a department store. I mean, me and sure, my but I'm just saying the people, the people that want – Union should get union, but the people who don't want to be part of the union, they, I don't think they should be forced to pay dues. Um, and likely, if they're not paying the dues, then they're not going to ask for a union. You know, they're not going to call their union rep, right? They're going to do what they got to do, call a lawyer, do whatever they got to do. I, I haven't seen any cases of people wanting to do that. Is there like a major movement of people saying, look, I want union protection, but I don't want to pay? Yes. I mean, we, I mean, where I work, people are like, well, we don't want to join the union. And we'll say, I mean, we're, we're required to. We're in Pennsylvania still. And we mm-hmm. tell people that, you know, we have what we have because we've been union for 125 years. Well, I don't want to pay two hours of my wages a month for protection. But all of a sudden, when that person gets in trouble, they're the first ones. Where's the union? Where's the union? Where's the union? You know, when they feel that they're being slighted, Where's the union? Where's the union? Where's the union to protect yeah, me? Well, well I got to agree with you, Ed. You can't have it both ways, right? If you're, if you, if you're going to look for the, you know, it's, imagine if, uh, I just look at it like, imagine if you, you, you don't want to pay taxes and then you, you call the cops and they're like, hey, I, I got no cops. I didn't want to pay taxes or I wanted to defund the police and now I, you know, I need the police and, and they're not coming. You know, you, you just can't have it both, both ways in life. And, and those situations are not real. Of course, it's a hyperbolic analogy that I'm making. But, yeah, I agree with you. Look, if if you are a union guy and you're pro-union guy, and every, uh, by all means, take advantage of your union. 
My, my uh, only issue is I say for people who don't want to be part of a union, just, you know, they, they should have that right to work without part of a union. And, and with that right comes the right to not receive protection from the union, to not receive representation and, and everything else that comes with being a part of that union, because that's what you rejected with your right to work. And I think that makes total sense. I mean, I agree there are jobs that should not be union, but, you know, I mean, they, everybody wants a level playing field. And, you know, unions have created the level playing field and created a living wage and benefits and, you know, a 40-hour work week. And then, you know, but the people in the right to work, they're the first to cry. Oh, they get this, but, you know, the union has this. Why don't I get this? Well, you didn't want it. Then yeah, that's well, listen, I, 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 I support what you're saying. Uh, I don't know that the right to work people, I can tell you, I'm, I support right to work, and and I really do. I've I've never I've never been a part of a union. I've never tried to become a part of a union, and uh, I, I know if I was ever in a problem, I, I'd call my lawyer. I wouldn't call I wouldn't call the union, but I get it. And you're right. There's a lot of jobs where union protection is is important and required, especially in Pennsylvania. Hundred percent, I agree with that. I think a lot of this stuff is uh, focused mainly on public sector unions, not uh, certain uh, trade or labor unions. Uh, but bottom line is, I think if you're if you're forced to pay, then, hey, get all the benefits in the world. But the real point here is, should people be forced to pay if they don't want to be a part of it? And that's the part that I guess is up in the air. For me, it's a, it's no. If you don't want to pay, don't pay and don't be a part of it. It's that simple. It's a free market. Anyway, thank you, Ed, from Pittsburgh on KDKA. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you and all the work you're doing and your family who's been in this labor business for 80 years as part of a union. Let's continue and go to Matt in North Carolina, Listening on 107.1 FM, Matt, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hello, Rich, the new king of late-night talk radio. Oh, very kind of you. How are you, sir? Very good. Um, I heard, uh, well, I'll get to the point in a minute. I heard the Northeast is going to get hammered by a big, a big bad storm. But I wanted to say that I believe Fauci knows he's guilty, uh, but he's just like, scared now. What's your opinion? You know, if I'm allowed to have an opinion on that, which I am and I will, uh, I'll tell you this. I believe that Fauci and every other bureaucrat in Washington is an expert in making rules so they know how to break the rules. And that's, that's my bottom line on this guy, right? So there's a reason why Fauci didn't say, we're going to go ahead and do gain-of-function research. And that's why he went to Congress and said, we would never do such a thing. We're not involved in gain because he knew that would not be cool. So he leaves conveniently leaves out the fact that, but his organization, the NIH, uh, they were giving millions of dollars in a grant to the EcoHealth Alliance, which was then in turn giving it to um, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, what's funny about this is that what Fauci can always claim plausible deniability, right? It's, it's typical government 101 where you just go, oh, well, I, we, we didn't fund them. We funded those guys. If those guys are going to in turn, you know, uh, donate to here or whatever, well, that's on them. We, did, we weren't aware that that was happening. And I never, I, did, I didn't purge on myself. I'm a saint. I am the science. And that's, that's Fauci, right? You know, I am the science. Uh, this is, uh, you're not doubting me. You're doubting the science. And this is, this is his whole angle. So, I, I'm with you. They, it's not that they know they're guilty. They think they can never be guilty because they've figured out how to break the rules without ever breaking the rules, if that makes sense. What was that funny name you called him earlier? I didn't write it down. 
Oh, the Fouchster. <laughs> the Fouchster. Because yeah, he talks like that. He's the Fouchster. The Fouchster. My paisan, my brother from Brooklyn. Anyway, Matt, I appreciate that. The music means they're kicking me out, but I'm coming back. I'll be back right after the next uh, three-minute break. We're going to go to Connecticut and other calls that are coming in. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And again, we're going to play that audio of this woman, the doctor who says, I don't believe in soap, shoes, or shaving, and she thinks coffee enemas are a good idea. Yeah, you heard that right. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, Open Phone America. Your calls and more coming straight ahead. Welcome back on the second half here with, uh, let's see, we got 30 minutes or so to go before uh, I'm not keeping you company anymore. Some of you are counting down the clocks and yeah, thank goodness the rest of you are, you know, lamenting that we won't be together, but uh, don't worry. We got a lot to cover still. All right. Our phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. So I'm like usual, you know, once or twice a day, I check my Instagram feed at Rich Valdez with an S, by the way. And I see this uh, account that I follow. It's called Poplitics. And one of the interviewers on Poplitics uh, is interviewing Dr. Courtney Kala, who is the author of a book called I Don't Believe in Soap, Shoes, or Shaving. And she's a chiropractor in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And she um, was giving her tips on stuff, you know, on, on different things that she was uh, musing about. And this is, I want you to hear a series of these questions like, you know, you don't believe in soap. And she explains why we should never use soap. She explains why she doesn't use deodorant or she doesn't shave. And she also explains why the best way to have your coffee is rectally with an enema. Yeah, go figure. Listen to this. I thought, this girl is crazy. And then after two months, I realized you were right about everything. Most of the time, first impressions, people are like, nah, man, (laughs) I'm out. You haven't washed your body since 2017 with soap. There's very few cases where you're like, caked in mud and that you actually need an emollient to help you get the mud off. That's what soap was created for. It was not created for you to use every day, multiple times a day. Are prenatal vitamins a scam? Short answer, yes. A woman having a flat stomach isn't actually normal? We have this standard. We're trying to look like men when it comes to that area and their reproductive organs are on the outside of their body. But for women, our reproductive organs, which on the inside of our body, we're like, let's shrink that down. Allergies are not normal. If you are having allergies, there's something going wrong. It's a siren from your immune system saying we're not okay. You don't wear deodorant. And have it in years. Your armpits are supposed to sweat. It's a major detox pathway for your body. Coffee enemas. Listen, the energy you have after. I remember the first time after I did one, my husband was like, you could do one every day. Like, I love this version of you. Conservative women, (laughs) they're like, all right, Alex, you got me to go off birth control. Now you want me to start putting coffee up my butt. I'm going to have to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. 
So I, I couldn't help but laugh at that because, you know, uh, the her husband loves the version of her that has uh, coffee uh, through the back door. Okay, listen. I mean, look, to each their own, I'm not being critical here. I'm really an analyzing and observing this. I'm thinking, you know, we're going to have to look into this. What I really think we got to do is book Dr. Courtney Calla to come on the show and invite her if we can, um, because I, I would love to have this conversation a little bit more in depth in our very um, – long-form interview format that we have here on our live and national late-night platform. And I would love to do that because I think Americans would really benefit from hearing some of this stuff, in my opinion. Uh, But I'd love to know, what are your thoughts on this not showering, not using deodorant? Yeah, I get it. Everybody sweats in their armpits. But what about all the millions and millions of people that use deodorant? Um, Are we all doing it wrong? Like, you know... I don't know. I, I think I, I think I like not smelling, right? I like to smell like deodorant. I think the flavor I use is called Cool Rush. <laughs> That's the scent. Anyway, uh, I'd, I'd love your thoughts on some of this stuff and everything else that we're talking about. 833, the number four, Valdez, is the phone number. Let's go to Sarah in, Sarah in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Hey, Sarah, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Hi. Well, I'll just keep drinking coffee the normal way. Uh, but as far <laughs> as unions go, uh, I don't. I'm kind of both. You know, I know I have one foot in each camp on the unions. I understand no one should be forced to join a union. At the same time, I work at a school, and you know, I know a lot of teachers who are ideologically conservative, and they don't like what the unions are definitely. Teachers unions. Yep, they're definitely pushing the woke agenda. Uh, you, you get emailings from them, you'll you'll see they definitely are. That's that's not a myth. Um, but I've mm-hmm. had teachers tell me that they can get sued personally by a student's parent and that um, they would have to pay for the legal protection out of their pocket, which you know a lot of people, especially if it's something protracted, can't afford. And so they join the union because they, they can get free legal protection. Um, and, you know, uh, I think that maybe we need legislation or something to where unions have to just – they can't push so- social issues. They have to just focus on workplace uh you know, issues, and that's it. And, you know, uh, your screener made a good point. He said, yeah, and not only the the unions, but the corporations. Maybe we just cut that out where unions or corporations are supporting certain agendas, and they just, you know, focus on the subject at hand, and that's it, you know. Yeah, I, I, I'm in a perfect world. I guess that happens, but I think in, in, the, in the world we're in, and, and I, I don't know that we could get to a place like that, in particular – after um, I'm forgetting the name of this big legislation um, that that allowed that to happen, but it, it, in effect, the Supreme Court ruled that that people's dollars equaled speech, and this, in many ways, is what made unions so bold, uh, more even more bold than they were, was that your your money became speech, and 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 they have an unlimited amount of this speech when they're supporting people. So I, I don't know that we could get to that place, but maybe we can. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, it's a good it's a good thought uh, to explore. I don't know that we could ever get there and, and say, hey, you can only do this because you know that flies in the face of liberty in many ways, especially after that. Um, not McCain Feingold. What was another big big uh, financial? Anyway, um, the uh, the one David Bossy was involved in drawing a blank. But yeah, g- good point. Now let me go back to this. Uh, do you use deodorant, Sarah? Yes, I do uh, use deodorant, and I'm going to tell you something. 
coffee enemas. Um, I knew a couple who was in alternative health and used coffee enemas. And oh, you know, people have done this. Well, it uh, it did, but it, it wasn't that good on their health. So um, I think the jury's oh, wow. still out on the coffee enemas. You can kind of strip wanting off. I mean, supposedly you can clean toxins out of your intestines, but you can also strip beneficial stuff out of there. Um, also, you need something, whether it's soap or something, to break up biofilms. Bacteria do produce what's called a biofilm that is kind of like an oily surface that kind of protects them. And so if you're not going to use soap, you need something to break that up, or you got to use a lot of elbow grease. So, um, <laughs> right. You know, yeah, I just, and listen, I, this is, she's not the only one. There's a lot of like celebrities that moved uh, on this bandwagon in Hollywood, where they, um, you know, they they said they're not they're not doing that anymore. Even their kids, they said they'll they'll bathe their kids like once a month, you know, when necessary. Um, and, and again, having something to do with the the bio, not the biofilm that you're talking about, but some other dermal substance that grows on your body that you don't want to get rid of that in effect is some sort of antibiotic or something, a part of your immune system. And they're saying every time you wash that away, you have less of it and therefore uh, making yourself more susceptible to whatever. It's the same theory as people that say, don't use hand sanitizer 10 times a day, not just because it dries out your skin, but because it, it you know, um, I don't know, it creates some sort of a uh, uh, dependency or whatever, what have you. I, I don't mind being dependent on soap. I kind of like it. Um, I use one of those um, more mild uh, bath bar type of things where it's been around for a million years. My grandmother used to use it. It's, I've seen it around forever. And uh, it, it works good. doesn't dry out my skin. And, you know, I'm a happy guy. But apparently this is a big thing. And, you know, with the interviewer who interviewed her said, hey, she heard about it. She thought it was crazy and then moved on to thinking, well, you know, this is not so crazy. <laughs> thinking she's right. Uh, we have to get to the bottom of this. But anyway, Sarah, thanks for playing along. I appreciate it. I'm Rich Valdez. Your calls and more from West Virginia, Connecticut, Montana, and more straight ahead. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to your calls. Let's go to Mitchell in Lewiston, Idaho. I don't even know where Lewiston, Idaho is, but let's go to Mitchell. Mitchell, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. All right. Go right ahead. Okay. Um, who am I speaking to now? All right. Good night, sir. Let's go to Steve in, uh, let's see, Steve in, I don't even know, Connecticut. Go right ahead. Right. Can you hear me? I do. Please talk. Okay. I was calling about the unions and... The I know. Campaign. Get to your point, sir. Oh, well, Janice uh, versus AFSCME, Supreme Court decision is that people working in a union shop, if they opt not to be members, need to receive all the same benefits and protection as all the union paying members. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. 
Let us continue. Let's see if anybody's really paying attention here. Tarantino from Pittsburgh, KDKA. Go right ahead. Uh, Tarantino, I'd like to talk about customer service you were talking about earlier. Is that okay? Please. Um, you know what? First of all, I get a lot of restaurants. It's very hard to offend me. One time my mother said, who ate that? And I said, I did. She said, that was scraps for the dog, and I enjoyed it. So it's hard to really offend me at a restaurant. However, the other day the AAA guy came out and said I needed a new battery. And guess what, Rick? I took it. I said, ah, I don't know. You want to sell me a new one for 200 bucks? Took it to my battery guy, and the battery guy said it's fine. So I'm going to have to put in a complaint on that one. All right, Trenton, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Let us uh, continue here. I want you to hear uh, this clip of audio. This woman, she goes to a, let's see, what is this, uh, like a zoning board meeting or whatnot, and has her minute or two of public comment and decides to let everybody know how important it is to have a National Sugar Daddy Day. Listen to this. Good evening, everybody. Everybody's looking absolutely fabulous. A little bit serious, but I am here as a concerned citizen and voter. You guys might not be aware, but Florida has the largest per capita population of sugar daddies in the U.S. Miami, Palm Beach, and Boca lies the most concentrated populace of these aged benefactors. Sugar daddies, both gay and straight, and yes, even sugar mommies are responsible for college educations, cars, homes, rents, jets, Birkins, and the occasional body enhancement, supporting our local economy. Let us celebrate these giving generous Samaritans as I stand before you requesting that you decree a sugar daddy and mommy appreciation day on March 10th to honor those who have given us so much. Thank you and love you all. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for your, but that's a city council issue. No, yeah. I really, really just wanted to address this issue here okay. today okay. because I think it's a very important issue. Not only Thank does you. she sound high as a kite, but listen to this. Her name is Ashley Cream. Just imagine going through life and your name is Ash Cream. Right? Just, that just sounds funny to me. But this woman took to the podium at the Boca Raton Planning and Zoning Board meeting uh, recently, March 2nd, uh, with this unusual request asking that the board designate March 10th as Sugar Daddy and Mommy Appreciation Day. The woman who um, stood up to speak at the uh, the board discussed amending the city code regarding storage of flammable liquids because an elderly man uh, had made a comment from a wheelchair and walked beside her on the podium. Ms. Cream told the board members that they were looking absolutely fabulous, as you heard, and and she feels that this is really going to help the local economy. Obviously, uh, sure, yeah, sugar daddies are great, I guess, um, and sugar mamas are even better. The board members seemed a little puzzled by the request, saying, you know, thanks, and uh, referring her, as you heard, to the city council. And my thought is, 
uh, I've never heard this before, right? Uh, I haven't heard of this request or this movement towards uh, appreciating sugar daddies and sugar mamas across the country and making this National Appreciation Day. But curious to know your thoughts on this. If uh, Should we have this Sugar Daddy Appreciation Day or not? Anyway, let me know. We're live and national, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez. More after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Jeff, some obscure place in Michigan, W-I-L-S. Jeff, what city are you calling from, sir? Mr. Rich Valdez. And that's Valdez with an S, by the way. It is. Uh, It is, Jeff. What city are you in? We'll we'll go uh, Lansing. Yeah. Lansing. Okay. And talk to me about uh, your thoughts tonight. Well, I'm thinking about those coffee enemas, you know, and uh, um, uh, I'm kind of a thinker, or at least I like to think that I'm a, a thinker. And as I now, my my wife, she likes those uh, mocha coffees, you know, the kind mm. of chocolatey kind of things, yeah. you know. And I'm thinking from you know just uh, okay, let's from like maybe a flatulent type, you know. And, it might, you know, take a deep like, breath. You know, I know it's, it's nerve wracking. Go ahead. So, mocha, chocolate, uh, mocha, coffee, enema. Go right ahead. Yeah, and it, but but on the other hand, you know, I, I like my coffee really, really hot. And I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe putting hot coffee in your butt might not be something that I don't think would be fun. Yeah. So, are you going to be trying this and calling us back with the result? I don't know. I might start out with a green tea maybe first, you know? Yeah. Well, thank you, sir. I uh, I appreciate that. I think all the Americans that are listening really appreciate the last minute or so of our conversation with you made the show that much better. Let's go to Steve in Cleveland, W-E-O-L 930. Steve in Cleveland, make it count, brother. Rich, I want everybody to label you easy listening (laughs) because that's exactly what you are. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. I you're, think. you're welcome. I mean, it's a pleasure listening. I mean that. Trump spoke Thanks. for two hours tonight. He could drive a golf ball over 250 yards. But all I know is I had to go someplace, and there was somebody walking out with a mask on their face. And um, I got a grandson who basically listened to Bannon and everybody else for a couple of years called virtual school and that background with kids teach you. And I just told him, and I know people wear masks they might need to, but walking out of the thing and Walking out of the store we were at, I'm just sitting there, I go, you see a guy right there? I go, he might be wearing a mask for a reason, but most usual people to wear masks like that, to get in their cars by themselves, that's usually how you could, you know, that's how you tell a liberal. And he looks ahead and goes, Papa, it's, it's his choice if he wants to wear a mask. It's not our fault he's an idiot. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, that, I, I laugh because uh, you had good delivery there. But uh, I don't want people to think that if they were masks, they're idiots. Uh, I, I do want to say that there's a lot of evidence out there. You know, we had a couple of uh, think tank people on saying that, you know, masks are just not as, uh, as effective as we thought they were. Just like, you know, we thought this thing came from bats. And now we're finding out that it came from the same lab we thought it came from. And on top of that, we paid for it. And on top of that, we paid for it twice. They double billed us in an accounting error, it seems, quote unquote error. Uh, Steve, I tell you, um, th- this is not me trying to one up anybody and, and best anybody in any way. This is really just me, the incredulity of the situation and thinking, man, it's amazing how they took the goodwill of so many Americans and and abused it and and turned one person versus the next a little while ago. I hope I have enough time to get this in. But I saw this post, and it was like a meme that somebody made. They put a picture of Einstein, something he didn't say, but it said if you put a bunch of black ants uh, together with fire ants, nothing happens if you put them in a drawer. But if you shake the jar, they start killing each other. And neither of them are at fault. It's the fault of the person that shook the jar. So let us blame Fauci and those that shook the jar, Steve. Take care. Good night. God bless. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll do it again tomorrow. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen.